For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about BetOnline.ag. BetOnline Sportsbook has all of your props, odds, promos, and parlays for the 2023 NBA Finals. Use our promo code BLEAV. That's B-L-E-A-V to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the description to this episode. BetOnline, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever it is you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network. Except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast. And podcasts aren't live. It's the whole point of podcasts. You can listen however and whenever you so choose. And we appreciate that you have decided to take the time to stop in however and whenever it is that you may be listening We've got a great, great show planned for you on this May 31st, the last day of May 2023. Happy Wednesday or Thursday or however and whenever you're stopping in here. It's Wednesday, May 31st by my count, but it may not be that according to your count. We've got a great show planned for you today. We're going to take a deep dive into this wild Oakland A's story. I've put it on the back burner far too long. I've been talking about it for weeks and weeks as a producer doing Sacramento radio. It is a crazy story with the Oakland A's, and we're going to dive deep into it here today on the show. First, we have an A-block segment, kind of like John Oliver does sometimes, where he'll have like a 10-minute recap of the week and then a big-picture story. That's kind of what today's episode is going to look like. And today, I want to take a second to talk about Nick Nurse being hired as the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers, a story that we would have talked about yesterday if not for the whole Game 7 between Miami and Boston taking place on Monday night. But just before that game, Nick Nurse got hired as the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers, replacing Doc Rivers, who replaced Brett Brown, and the process has no real room for recourse at this point going forward. And I thought it was really interesting that Nick Nurse, one, took his name out of the Milwaukee head coaching search. That creates a broader conversation about Drew Holiday and Giannis and everything going on with that organization that I'm sure we'll do on another day. But specifically focusing in on Nick Nurse could have had the Philadelphia 76er job or Nick Nurse could have had the Phoenix Sun job. They had pursued Nurse in both of those openings. They were both waiting to figure out where Nurse was going to go before moving forward with their next head coaching hire. And Nick Nurse ultimately chose to coach the Philadelphia 76ers. And I thought that was interesting. One, that Philadelphia has been able to get champion head coaches in two consecutive hiring cycles now. Three years ago... They hired Doc Rivers. Now they've hired Nick Nurse. Again, both champion coaches, both hot commodities during their coaching searches. I remember when Doc Rivers was available for the Philadelphia 76ers to hire him, he was the biggest name available on the market because Ty Lue had been picked up to replace Doc Rivers, and Rivers chose to go coach the Philadelphia 76ers. And in the first year that he got there, the Sixers went from being a six-seed bounced out 
unceremoniously in the bubble, Ben Simmons getting injured again, and then, you know, everything that happened with Ben Simmons after foretold some of that stuff. But Doc Rivers came in, they were the one seed the first year with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons playing together. Embiid finished second place for the MVP that year finished second place for the MVP the following year, won the MVP in 2023, and I think it's safe to say that the 76ers got the best coach they could have gotten at the time for the prime of Joel Embiid's career. And what's so interesting about Nick Nurse taking the Philadelphia 76er job is I don't think the Philadelphia job is all that desirable for a top-end head coach. And granted, there's reports now that like Nick Nurse and Monty Williams were or Monty Williams specifically was offered a ton of money by the Detroit Pistons and turned them down. There's the possibility Nurse could have gone to coach the Houston Rockets and that was the rumor of his departure from Toronto was connected to him going to Houston and he would have been one of the five highest paid coaches in the NBA. Granted there's building something up from scratch and then there's coaching something that's already been established. And there's reporting coming out after the fact. It was actually leaked the day before Nurse got hired that Nurse was excited by the idea of working with Daryl Morey again because he had been an assistant coach with the Houston Rockets when Morey was there, made his way to the Toronto organization, assistant coach behind Dwayne Casey. Dwayne Casey gets fired after winning Coach of the Year, and then Nick Nurse becomes the head coach who wins a championship in 2019 with Kawhi Leonard. And Nurse was excited about working with Daryl Morey again, and obviously coaching Joel Embiid makes it a desirable job. But as we talked about with the 76ers when they got eliminated, they don't have any room for recourse anymore. They've traded all of their meaningful draft picks. They have traded away all of their... uh, They've traded away their second-best player in Ben Simmons for a second-best player in James Harden, who is slightly better than Ben Simmons. There is no guarantee that James Harden is going to come back, and if James Harden does re-sign with the 76ers, it will put them in a position where they have no financial flexibility. Your team for the next two seasons is Joel Embiid, James Harden, Tobias Harris, and Tyrese Maxey. That is your team for the next two years. You have no recourse to improve the team, and if Nick Nurse believes that team is good enough to win a championship, all the power to him, or if he thinks that team is just good enough to be a a contender every year, all the power to Nick Nurse. And look, the prospect of having Joel Embiid on your team obviously makes that a desirable job. I'm not saying it's an undesirable job. I was just a little bit surprised that Nick Nurse, who could have had any job he wanted in the NBA, chose that job, especially given we just saw Doc Rivers have any coaching availability he wanted in the NBA three years ago after getting fired by the Clippers and choosing the Philadelphia 76ers. I don't think of the Philadelphia 76ers as being the most desirable coaching opening in this last cycle. I think Milwaukee offered some things that are similar in caliber to uh, to Philadelphia, which is an aging roster that's gone all in for the past four or five seasons, an MVP being the focal point of the team that gives them hope that they can win a championship, but an MVP that's getting ready to exit their prime between Giannis and Joel Embiid. I think Milwaukee and Phoenix were very, or sorry, Milwaukee and Philadelphia were very comparable jobs, and then you get to the Phoenix aspect of it. Kevin Durant's the second best player on that team, and maybe the new owner is a bit of a turnoff. Maybe there's not a ton of belief in Kevin Durant going forward in his career at this stage with all the injuries that he's had and the fact that clearly Devin Booker is the number one on that team, and if you're betting on best players in the sport, you'd rather bet on, say, Joel Embiid taking you as far as Joel Embiid can take you than Devin Booker taking you as far as Devin Booker can take you, but I'm not even sure that's a certainty at this point because Devin Booker's a couple years younger than Joel Embiid, and we've seen Devin Booker, under the best of circumstances, be the best player on a team that came within two games of winning the championship. But Nick Nurse chose the Philadelphia 76ers when he could have had any head coaching opening in the NBA. And I thought that was really interesting because Philadelphia feels like a roster on their last leg. And Nick Nurse is coming in to, quote-unquote, clean up the mess that's about to be left. And maybe this changes if James Harden 
doesn't re-sign. Because if James Harden doesn't re-sign, they will have more financial flexibility. Maybe a younger star entering free agency will decide to come play for the 76ers. Maybe they'll do a sign-and-trade with Harden to reinvent the roster. And it feels like the 76ers have given it all that they have in the prime of Joel Embiid's career. And all that they had in the prime of Joel Embiid's career was... Those three seasons, the year that they were the number one seed, and we remember them losing games where they had 24 and 27 point leads against the Atlanta Hawks and had a 10 point lead in the fourth quarter of game seven when they blew it to a Hawks team that clearly was not good enough to make it to the conference finals as they showed that season and as have they have shown since. And it was last year trading James Harden for Ben Simmons was their last recourse for trying to get over the hump. They had already been a number one seed and blew it. I mean, it is no way around it. When they In 2021, when they lost to the Atlanta Hawks in seven games, and in two of those losses, they had 24-point leads, 27-point leads, and a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. Like, there is no way around the Philadelphia 76ers' best chance to win in the prime of Joel Embiid's career was that 2021 season. And then you could say that If their best chance to win was that 2021 season with Doc Rivers, their next best chance to win was 2023 with James Harden there for a full season, with Joel Embiid. They were able to reassemble the roster after the James Harden trade took away most of their depth when they lost Ben Simmons and Seth Curry and a couple of draft picks, and uh, there was another player in that trade who I'm forgetting right now. But they were able to reassemble their team relatively quickly with Joel Embiid and with James Harden, with P.J. Tucker in the mix and DeAnthony Melton in the mix. They were able to relatively quickly reassemble their roster, and what ended up being the result was a team that came within one game of making it to the conference finals for the third time in this 76er trust the process run. And so I'm interested that it feels like Nick Nurse is coming in to clean up the scraps in a way because it feels like their last best chance was 2023. Joel Embiid's getting ready to exit his prime. James Harden may or may not be back. Even if James Harden is back, is that good enough to get them further than where they've been with three different cores of the team around Joel Embiid? It was... Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, Jimmy Butler, and Tobias Harris, and that team lost against Nick Nurse and and the Toronto Raptors. And then in 2021, it was Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and Doc Rivers, and they got within one game of the conference finals. And this time it was James Harden and Joel Embiid, and they came within one game of the conference finals. So unless they have another move to retool the roster that we're not seeing, it doesn't feel like they have much recourse for improvement. And so I'm surprised that Nick Nurse, who again could have had any coaching job he wanted at basically any price, chose the Philadelphia 76ers the same way Doc Rivers chose the Philadelphia 76ers three years ago. And it feels like Doc Rivers got the prime of Joel Embiid's career And it feels like Nick Nurse is getting the leftovers that remain of what might be still the prime of Joel Embiid, but is more likely the decline of Joel Embiid without a second star player. Or if they do have a star player, no no recourse to improve the roster besides Joel Embiid, James Harden, Tyrese Maxey, and Tobias Harris. Just too much money to be able to move any of those players. That's the core of your team, maybe dipping into luxury tax. And man, we've seen that over the last two years. A core of Joel Embiid, James Harden, Tobias Harris, and Tyrese Maxey, that's good enough to get you the third or fourth best seed in the Eastern Conference. Because, yeah, Philadelphia was the three seed this year, and yeah, they made it to the second round of the playoffs, but... Miami made it to the conference finals both years that Philadelphia was getting bounced in the first round. Miami's been a better team than them the last four years. Boston's been a better team than them the last four years. And Milwaukee has been a better team than them the last four seasons. So we've seen the core of this team. It's good enough to be the fourth best team in the East. And maybe you're betting on Miami's going to decline. or Maybe you're betting on Milwaukee's going to decline. 
it's not a foolproof strategy, and I'm surprised that Nick Nurse ended up signing up for it. We're going to transition over to talking about the Oakland A's and this wild, wacky story that's going on with the worst baseball team in history. So to do so, let's set the mood by traveling to our favorite galaxy far, far away, known as Major League Baseball. Episode 5, The Dodger Empire Strikes Back. After five days of battles, a perfect 13 innings from the bullpen fleet, and help from a rally goose, Captain Juan Soto and the San Diego Resistance blew up the Holy Dodger Empire's 111-win Death Star, restoring a balance to the Force. After their incredible victory, the Resistance discovers they still have much to learn after a journey to the Dagobah system and a visit to Master Harper on the swamp planet known as Philadelphia. Meanwhile, the Holy Dodger Empire grows in wealth, pillaging the backs of Diamond and Purple Rockies once more for resources. The Empire has removed Captains Trey and Justin Turner while banishing Cody Bellinger to the north side. Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens continue spending their unprecedented resources in an attempt to maintain control of their Empire State along the eastern seaboard. In addition, Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens, along with the Holy Dodger Empire, prepare themselves for the impending arrival of Master Otani, the fabled Jedi Knight from Anaheim who legend says has the ability to master and control both sides of the Force. Despite their successes, the Resistance is losing resources and ground trying to compete with the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. They've fled to the backs of Diamond in order to re-coordinate their efforts for the following season. In their time of need, Captain Juan Soto enlists help from a former Resistance ally, Fernando Calrissian, also known as El Nino. The Resistance also pays a hefty price for Xander Bogart's defection from the once great Boston Empire. With the help of Captain Soto, the return of El Nino, Xander the Carpenter, Joe Musgrove, Jedi Master Manny Machado, and Supreme Closer Lord Hader, the Resistance knows this season will be their best chance to dismantle the Holy Dodger Empire once and for all. We have entered the galaxy far, far away. And look, those resources are not going to good use for the resistance. I mean, the Empire Strikes Back is really starting to speak some truth to this because the resistance is struggling right now. San Diego Padres are five games below 500. It is rough out here. Fernando Calrissian hasn't done very much for them. Captain Juan Soto's been hitting below 200 most of the season. It's been rough out here for the San Diego resistance. But here in this weird galaxy far, far away, there is a story that is, I think, maybe the most fascinating story in all of baseball. And it's from... The Oakland Athletics, who I don't even know how they fit into the picture of Star Wars. Like, they're just so irrelevant, living in the galaxy, just being left alone by all the people fighting. Because they have no resources. They have no stake in the game. They're not even trying to conquer the galaxy. They don't even have anything worth being conquered for. The Oakland A's are just kind of existing. And it's so interesting because the Oakland Athletics as of today, are 10 and 46. Today is May 31st. The last team 
to lose that many games before June 1st is nobody. It has literally never happened before that a baseball team has lost 46 games before June 1st. The previous record holder for most losses prior to June 1st was 42. If you look up who has the worst start through 55 games in the history of baseball, the next closest team you're going to find to this Oakland A's team is the 1902 Washington Senators. They were a game better than the Oakland A's through 56 games. Since Major League Baseball moved to 162-game calendar, which started in 1961, the next closest team you're going to find to this Oakland Athletics team is the 1987 San Diego Padres, who had 12 wins. The A's have 10 Not only are the Oakland A's the worst team in the history of baseball through 56 games, they're doing it by a pretty significant margin in a whole bunch of statistics. The Oakland A's run differential through 56 games is negative 199. They have been outscored by 200 runs more than their opponents. As a reference point, they would be on pace to be outscored by over 500 runs this season. That would be an all-time MLB record. The next closest team to the Oakland A's in run differential is the Kansas City Royals, and the Kansas City Royals are minus 80. They're minus 80. The A's are minus 199. That's 120 fucking runs more than the next closest team. The Oakland A's are not just the worst team in Major League Baseball this year. They are the worst team in the history of Major League Baseball. This year, it's not even close. Like, the Kansas City Royals are pretty bad. They are nothing compared to what this Oakland A's team is. This is the worst baseball team ever. Earlier in the season, I had said this is the worst baseball team since the pandemic in Major League Baseball. It's without question that they are the worst team since the pandemic in Major League Baseball because they are breaking 120-year-old records for worst start to a season. This is the worst baseball team of any of our lifetimes. Since the league went to 162 games, it's no contest. The only comparisons are the 1902 Washington Senators and the 1932 Boston Red Sox. And they played in completely different eras of baseball, eras that were known as the fucking Great Depression and the Dead Ball Era. Like, it's insane how bad this Oakland A's baseball team is. And I, twice a week, get paid to watch this shitty Oakland A's baseball team because our radio station is a partner with the Oakland A's, and occasionally I have to go in and work Oakland A's games. Last year, I could name you a whole bunch of players on the Oakland A's. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world that I was getting paid to watch sports. This year, I don't even fucking watch the games. I hit the button, put it on the TV, and just wait to see when it gets to two outs in the bottom of the inning. I will do something else instead of watching the Oakland A's game. One, because I have more confidence as a radio producer. Two, this baseball team is just so horrifically bad. And it's not like they're laughably bad. It's not like they're out here doing stuff that's funny, like when the Pittsburgh Pirates a couple years ago threw the ball around the yard when they could have just stepped on first base to end an inning. It's not like they're doing things that are hilarious bad. It's just angry bad. And the reason it's angry bad is because of everything that is happening with the Oakland Athletics franchise. The reason this baseball team is so bad is done intentionally. And the reason this is done intentionally, more than any baseball team in the history of the sport, is... 
the Oakland A's are following the playbook for how to relocate a baseball team and how to relocate any professional sports team. When you don't have leverage with a city to get public financing for a stadium deal, something that should never be done, by the way. There should never be a situation in which public financing should be used to fund baseball stadiums. You can do the what about uh, tax write-offs or what about education or, or what about getting money for schools like whatever you want to do what aboutism for there is no statistical economic evidence that shows public financing of sports stadiums is a good idea especially because the people who are then paying the, the corporation to go to their arena aren't getting discounted tickets they aren't getting the thing for free they aren't getting us they aren't getting what they are paying for in their taxes they are paying public financing to fund a stadium and then having to pay full price in order to attend that stadium. And this is why, in part, sports franchises have only gone up in value over the last 40 years. Part of it is the increases in television revenue, and the other parts of it is the stadium deals that are done by cities that publicly finance for private corporations. The private corporations then increase their revenues with no incentive to pay back and they will end up increasing profits and owning the land in a lot of cases and owning the land leads to increased property values because owning a professional sports team is also investing in real estate. And the Oakland A's have no leverage to get a new stadium with the city of Oakland. Both the previous mayor, Libby Schaff, and the current owner, Sheng Tao, have said that they have come to the table with the city and with... Uh, they, they want to come to the table with the city, the Oakland A's, Rob Manfred, and work out a deal. Which is something that happens when these st- cities get stadium deals. And the Oakland A's have been trying to get a stadium deal anywhere for 30 years... They've been unable to leverage a city into giving them a public financing deal. And as a result, the Oakland A's find themselves in a position where they are looking for any city in America to give them a public financing deal. And the history of this deal goes back to looking for a stadium in Oakland in the 90s, then San Jose in the 2000s, looking at Sacramento, where I live, as a possible relocation destination before that shit was shut down by the San Francisco Giants because the San Francisco Giants owned the quote-unquote territorial rights to these stadium deals. And then it turned to Las Vegas, and then it was a Howard Terminal ballpark in Oakland for the last four seasons, or really a past six years or so. There have been talks about funding a stadium in Howard Terminal, and all of it has led to this where the Oakland A's are now setting up stadium deals in Las Vegas, trying to find a public financing package that would get approved by Las Vegas, putting out tentative agreements to purchase land and then bailing on that land across the state across the street from the Raiders stadium for a new location at the Tropicana in downtown Las Vegas and then laying out a plan for that stadium that doesn't include a roof, which is ridiculous because it's 170 de- uh, not 170, 117 degrees in the summer in Las Vegas. So you can't play day games. You can barely play night games in Las Vegas. So they don't have a public financing deal there because they can't put a roof on a stadium. And the land that they'd agreed to is way too small. It's only nine acres wide. It would be the smallest stadium in baseball, but it's not going to be supported with a roof. And so you can't really have that deal work. They have been trying deal after deal in Las Vegas, trying to backdoor public financing starting off at 500 million dollars from the city and the state then going down to 395 million dollars then negotiating 380 making sure that that public financing package doesn't end up on a ballot measure because they know that if the people got to vote on a ballot measure for the Oakland A's it would be rejected almost like with 70% emphatically would vote against a stadium financing deal, but they're trying to backdoor it through the legislature because they know that if you put it to the city and to the state of Nevada, you've got a a 50-50 shot of getting a stadium deal approved. They don't know that they have the votes through the legislature, but they do know that if they put the vote out to the public on a ballot measure at the election, 
they're not going to get a deal. The city is going to reject paying $390 million to the city or to the Oakland Athletics. I think it's like $180 million of that comes from the city and about $200 million of it comes in repayable bonds that the city is giving to Oakland that Oakland has to pay back over time. But that $200 million in bonds could be spent on something else instead of the Oakland A's stadium deal. And so the Oakland A's are following the playbook of if Oakland isn't going to give us a stadium, if we are trying to find a new place, what we're going to do is gut the payroll, gut the roster, save as much money as we possibly can. And in baseball, they have a socialistic system in which every team gets $200 million in revenue sharing to avoid the teams from financially going under. The Oakland A's have the lowest payroll in baseball. They just uh, designated for assignment Jesus Aguilar, who was their high, one of their highest paid players on the team at $3 million. They designated him for assignment to save about $2 million. And the $200 million in revenue sharing money has been pocketed. And despite the fact that they've generated less than $5 million in gate revenue, which... For those who don't know, one sporting event at Madison Square Garden generates about 3 to $5 million in gate revenue. They have generated $5 million in total revenue at the gate over this regular season. They are a team that has made, over the last two years, $150 million. Because baseball pays them $200 million as part of their revenue sharing agreement, the Oakland A's take that revenue sharing money, pocket it, except for paying off expenses for the entire organization. And apparently it costs about $150 million to run a baseball team because the Oakland Athletics made $75 million last season despite the fact that they made $200 million in revenue sharing money and less than $10 million as an organization. And the reason they've made less than $10 million is... Their average attendance is below 2,000 people. That's showing up at the door. There are other paid attendance numbers that are greater. Their at-the-door attendance at home is less than 2,000 people. That is less than the AAA affiliate for the A's in Las Vegas, the AA affiliate for the A's, the single-A team for the A's does better attendance numbers than the major league team. And it is infuriating that this is what they want. They want the baseball team to be as bad as possible. They've traded away every single player that represented hope three years ago for them. Matt Chapman traded to the Blue Jays. Chris Bassett traded to the New York Mets. Matt Olson traded away to the Atlanta Braves. Sean Murphy, who was on the team last year, traded to the Atlanta Braves, one of the five best catchers in baseball. Sean Manaya traded to the San Diego Padres. Mark Canna leaves to go to the New York Mets without a contract offer from the Oakland A's. Starling Marte leaves to go to the New York Mets. They have gutted the team. They have gutted the payroll to an extent that no team has tried before. Even last year's team, which was the second worst team in all of baseball, even that team traded away their three best players over the offseason. And Steven Vogt retired, which is the closest thing to an Oakland A's legend, in air quotes, you're going to find in the last 15 years. Steven Vogt retired. Their manager, Bob Melvin, left to go manage the San Diego Padres. Their two-time manager of the year, they just let him walk to go manage the San Diego Padres. They gutted the roster from last year. They they lowered payroll somehow even lower than the 30th ranked team last year. And the results that you're seeing are a team trying to evacuate their city, playing in front of less than 2,000 fans per game at home. And the result you have is a team that is legitimately going to break the record for most losses in a 162-game season and break the record by about 10 games. About 10 games is the record that the the 
Oakland A's are getting ready to break. And it is a remarkable experiment that is just absolutely infuriating. The fact that it's allowed to happen, the fact that it is absolutely messing with the it is messing with the American League playoff picture. And look, there's so many stats we can find about how ridiculously bad this is. By the way, since Major League Baseball moved to 162 games, the New York Mets in 1962 have the worst record of any team in the history of baseball. It's since 1961 when they went to 162 games. They finished 40 and 120 and then two games were canceled because of uh, I forgot the reason why, but they were 40 and 120. This year's Oakland A's team is on pace to win 29 games. They would break the the Detroit Tigers in 2003 is the worst team this century. They won 43 games. The Oakland A's are on pace to break the worst record in 62 years in baseball by 10 games. This is the worst team in the history of baseball. It is an experiment unlike anything we have seen in the sport. They do not care about putting a product on the floor, on the field. They do not care about people showing up to seats because they are one of the more profitable teams in baseball. They are looking for a stadium deal in another city. And the playbook is to gut the roster to as little payroll as possible so that they can maximize their revenue that Major League Baseball is paying them as a result of their collectively bargained system of revenue sharing that will keep the team from going under, despite the fact that, again, they have worse attendance than all of their minor league teams. The Oakland A's are an experiment unlike anything we've seen in the history of professional sports, and it is absolutely despicable that this team is allowed to get away with this. It is absolutely despicable that this is allowed to exist. Beyond the competitive integrity part of the game and how the American League West is going to have a competitive advantage because they get to play 13 games a year against the Oakland A's. And oh, by the way, Ken Rosenthal made this point on an article about the Oakland A's he wrote. The A's against the Houston Astros this year are 1 and 9. The Seattle Mariners they are 0 and 7. All those teams in the American League East that only get to play the A's twice a year uh, 6 games a year. It's an extra 7 game difference to make up against the Mariners, the Texas Rangers, and the Houston Astros, all of whom will likely be wild card teams. Or the team that wins the American League West, which I think will be Houston, but not a guarantee that it'll be Houston. Against the American League East, because we can just ignore the American League Central. The American League Central would be worse than any team in the American League East. We can just ignore that entire division. They're going to get their one playoff spot and get bounced in the wild card round like they do every year. But against the American League East, the American League West teams have a six-game competitive advantage. And that six-game competitive advantage is going to be the difference between 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th in the wild card once that comes around in September. The Oakland A's are single-handedly contributing to the power of balance in baseball. And even if you don't care about the competitive balance aspect of it, it is despicable for the city of Oakland and Oakland A's fans. It is despicable for Major League Baseball and that team that's allowed to exist. And like I said... There are so many crazy statistics about how bad this team is. I just listed the fact that they were 1-9 against the Houston Astros and 0-7 against the Seattle Mariners. I talked earlier about how the Oakland A's are going to have the worst run differential in the history of baseball by about 60 runs. They're going to break the all-time record for most losses in a 162-game season, and they're going to break it by 10-12 to 12 games. They are setting records that were only previously held through 56 games by the 1902 Washington Senators and the 1932 Boston Red Sox. And oh, by the way, this team is worse. They're worse 
than the 1902 Washington Senators and the 1932 Boston Red Sox. Those are just the only comparisons that are close. The Washington Senators in 1902 started the season 10 and 43. This A's team is 10 and 46. Before June 1st, the previous record for most losses was 42. The A's have 46. They could have 48 by the time you're listening to this. 48 in the month of April and May. The Oakland A's have played 27 games in 2023 against baseball teams in the American League West. 27 games. In those 27 games... How many of them do you think the Oakland A's were winning the game going into their last turn of at-bats? In 27 games, it is zero. They have literally never led a baseball game against the Astros, Angels, Mariners, or Texas Rangers. In 27 games they've played, they have literally zero times had the lead going into their last at-bat of the game. They won a game in the 10th inning. They won a game in the top of the ninth. They hit a walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth, and they were down in the bottom of the eighth when they took a lead against the Angels, and they never batted again in the bottom of the ninth. They have literally never all season been winning going into their last at-bat against an American League West team. This is the worst baseball team in history by a significant amount. And this is the worst part about it. All the time that there is despicable, angering shit happening in sports, the recourse is don't support them financially. The recourse is don't watch the games. Don't support the team. None of those modes of recourse affect the organization. The organization doesn't care if they make money. They don't care if you watch the games. They don't care if you show up. And the reason that's the case is they are trying to flip this into a profit. And they're going to be able to do that no matter what because of revenue sharing dollars. They are guaranteed $200 million in revenue. And so what they are doing is cutting their costs as much as they possibly can so that they can support their team with $200 million of revenue-sharing money. And apparently it costs about $150 million to run a Major League Baseball team. Because you know what? They're trying to cut costs even lower than that. And I'm sure they're going to be able to save $2 million by cutting Jesus Aguilar. I assume they're going to be able to save $500,000 over here by charging uh, a, a couple extra dollars for parking. They're going to be able to save a couple hundred dollars over here by firing some stadium employees and closing off the second deck. They can do whatever they want. And it'll just be about saving costs within the margins. And it is, and, and they can do it because they're guaranteed $200 million every year. And if it doesn't cost $200 million to run your baseball team, you can turn a profit even if the baseball team is literally the worst in the history of the sport, and even if you are literally getting less attendance than all three of your minor league teams individually, even if you're getting less attendance than those teams, you are still getting enough money to be one of the five most profitable teams in all of baseball. And where is that profit going? Directly into the pocket of John Fisher, the owner of of the Oakland Athletics for the past 20 years who has ran that team into the fucking ground. Trying to find a stadium deal in Oakland, San Jose, Sacramento, Las Vegas, back to Oakland, and now again to Las Vegas. No leverage, no desire to keep his team, no desire to pay for a stadium deal that will lead to him selling his team for even more of a profit. None of it makes a difference because John Fisher's baseball team is going to generate $75 million in revenue, put together literally the worst baseball team in the history of the sport by design and just might walk away with a stadium deal in Las Vegas. Or maybe, just maybe, the city of Las Vegas will deny his stadium deal. 
he'll be left with no public financing package to move forward with. And he'll be right in the same position he was before, sitting in the Oakland Coliseum with a terrible, terrible baseball team that generates him $80 million in revenue every year. It's fucking despicable. And as bad as the Oakland A's are, there is no recourse to make a difference here. Baseball is enabling John Fisher to engage in this behavior with the idea of getting a stadium deal done, raising the revenue of the organization and potentially leading John Fisher to sell the team and potentially raising the revenues of every team in the sport. Baseball is enabling that behavior. He doesn't care if you stop watching the games. He doesn't care if you stop spending your money because his money's guaranteed. It's $200 million as long as he fields a team. So the only recourse left for the Oakland A's is public shame. Public shame for John Fisher. Public shame for Dave Cavill, the owner of or the president of the Oakland A's. Public shame is the only recourse left. And the best public shame we can find is publicly shaming how terrible this baseball team is. Public shame for him and public shame for Dave Cavill is the only recourse left. And so as much public shame as possibly can be endured is the best course of action for keeping the Oakland A's accountable. And this is the best I can do here. Every time I've been on Sacramento Sports Radio the last couple weeks and any chance I've had to make fun of the Oakland Athletics and their terrible baseball team, I've tried to do it. Because this is the only recourse of accountability left. Baseball is protecting him. And the despicable, angering decision to field the worst baseball team ever in an effort to take a team away from a city that wants the team there is absolutely abhorrent and there's also no recourse to hold them accountable you've already taken away all the dollars you've already taken away all the revenue you've already taken away all of the attention all that's left is to continue pointing out just how despicable this man and this baseball team is and to never let them forget and to continue to shame them and not let them forget about what is happening with the hope that it might potentially lead to some change. But maybe it won't. It's the best you can do because they don't care about whether you pay attention or not. In reality, they might prefer that you don't. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for stopping in here to the Take It Easy podcast. We got episodes every single day, Monday through Friday, as well as Wired Up on Sundays. NBA Finals coverage is on the way. We're going to have post-game shows coming up after all the games, very similar to how we did last year. Friday's episode of the show is going to be our first NBA Finals post-game show. Thanks for your continued support. We've been doing this show every single weekday. For the past close to four years now, we're coming up on our fourth anniversary of the Take It Easy podcast, and all of you have continued to support this show through thousands of episodes, dozens of different iterations of the show. We appreciate your continued support and hope that you will continue to support our work here and into the future. Thank you for stopping in, and as always, take it easy. Episode 5, The Dodger Empire Strikes Back. After five days of battles, a perfect 13 innings from the bullpen fleet, and help from a rally goose, Captain Juan Soto and the San Diego Resistance blew up the Holy Dodger Empire's 111-win Death Star, restoring a balance to the force. After their incredible victory, the Resistance discovers they still have much to learn after a journey to the Dagobah system and a visit to Master Harper on the swamp planet known as Philadelphia. Meanwhile, the Holy Dodger Empire grows in wealth, pillaging the backs of Diamond and Purple Rockies once more for resources. The Empire has removed Captains Trey and Justin Turner while banishing Cody Bellinger to the north side. 
Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens continue spending their unprecedented resources in an attempt to maintain control of their empire state along the eastern seaboard. In addition, Master Cohen and his Met Army of Queens, along with the Holy Dodger Empire, prepare themselves for the impending arrival of Master Otani, the fabled Jedi Knight from Anaheim who legend says has the ability to master and control both sides of the Force. Despite their successes, the Resistance is losing resources and ground, trying to compete with the tyranny of the Holy Dodger Empire. They've fled to the backs of Diamond in order to re-coordinate their efforts for the following season. In their time of need, Captain Juan Soto enlists help from a former Resistance ally, Fernando Calrissian, also known as El Nino. The Resistance also pays a hefty price for Xander Bogart's defection from the once great Boston Empire. With the help of Captain Soto, the return of El Nino, Xander the Carpenter, Joe Musgrove, Jedi Master Manny Machado, and Supreme Closer Lord Hader, the Resistance knows this season will be their best chance to dismantle the Holy Dodger Empire once and for all. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.